When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this championship Saturday in Miami is four weeks of heart-pounding hardcore tennis from the Sunshine Double reach its crescendo. We welcome you to Tennis Channel Live, our post-game coverage at the 2022 Miami Open presented by Itau. It was a fitting Saturday for the woman who's going to be number one in the world on Monday. Iga Sviantek goes start to finish in Miami without dropping a set and becomes the fourth woman ever to win the Sunshine Double. So glad that you're with us on TC Live alongside uh, a couple of Hall of Famers who know what it's like to play on Championship Saturday at this event. Martina Navratilova and Lindsay Davenport. I'm Brett Haber. Guys, I, I don't know what the rankings say. She might be 77 in the world, and Sviantek was number two. Those, by acclamation, are probably the two best players in the world right now. Lindsay, why was Sviantek better today? Uh, she just did a remarkable job of handling the occasion. I keep waiting for the 20-year-old to maybe get nervous, maybe get tired physically or emotionally. But she came out of the gate. She was aggressive. She was dictating play. At the end of the first set, she was averaging seven miles per hour faster on the forehand wing. So really the biggest shot on the court was her forehand. She managed her service games, never faced a break point. She was so clutch this entire swing these last six weeks. But to see her keep getting better after all these matches, I think that was the most impressive thing for me. How about you, Martina? Yeah, I mean... When you're playing well, you play your best tennis when it matters the most. So you just keep building, building, building. She never had any hiccups on the way. So that really builds on the confidence as well as the timing. Her ball was heavy. She saw it as a watermelon. She was timing it beautifully. And that allowed her to even swing harder. And the ball is still going in. So when you get that kind of a feel for it, it's magic. It's amazing. She had so much pressure from so many different directions, taking over the number one ranking, trying to complete the Sunshine Double, never faltered, never dropped a set in her last eight matches. Let's show you the highlight. Osaka coming in off the three-set comeback against Bencic. Sviantek hadn't lost a set since the quarters of Indian Wells. Not just playing better and better with each match. And when we have this kind of a winning streak, again, that confidence keeps building, keeps going higher and higher. And you just almost forget how to lose. And then you, when you, like the first game, she had all these break points. Shriantek didn't matter. She just brought it on the next second service game and just dominated every aspect of the game. Uh, it's impressive also the way Shriantek, there's a couple of close games in the first set. She was, she was the solid player out there. There are too many errors from Osaka. Sriantek also did a great job of not letting Osaka get comfortable and camp out in the middle of the court. She put a lot of returns back into play. She used the whole court. And after a while, Osaka just really lost steam. She lost really her mojo as well in the second set. Only won eight points in total in that entire second set. Really, Sriantek able to run away with it in the end. Maybe the most competitive part of the match was the opening game of the match. Twelve minutes long, seven deuces. We thought we were in for a doozy, but... Uh... Second set was one-way traffic. Well, once she won that first set, Shriantek even settled in. I think Osaka wasn't sure what to do. Because she played pretty well that first set. Never saw a break point. Couldn't get into any of the Shriantek serves. And, and when you're saying she was hitting the ball seven miles an hour harder on the forehand, 
Osaka's not used to being out hit. That's a fact. Here are the stats for the match. Sviantec lost just 12 total points on serve, six on the first, six on the second. Yeah, that was huge. And she was also putting a lot of pressure on Osaka's serve at the same time. How about Naomi Osaka playing a match and never getting to a break point? That is what a smart match Sviantec was able to serve in this game. Also, her, the winners. I mean, Sviantec was absolutely dominating the baseline rallies, especially with her forehand. More winners than unforced errors. Just an all-around perfect end to this wonderful run for Sviantec. All right, 26th win of the year against just three losses. Extends the win streak to 17 matches. Here's some of what Iga had to say with Andrew Krasny right after the match. Iga, only four women have ever won the Sunshine Double, and you're the first woman ever to win the first three 1,000 events of the year. I mean, it's spectacular when you think about it. How are you feeling right now? Um, super tired, honestly. Well, um, yeah, I mean, these weeks were so intense. I didn't really know if, you know, I'm going to be able to keep up with the streak that I that I have. And um, it's amazing for me that, you know, I could show mental toughness because, you know, my whole life I thought I'm, I can do more. And sometimes I was uh, losing. I didn't even know why. And right now, this season, I feel like everything clicked. So it's great. And I'm really happy. Naomi can be such a difficult opponent. You made sure you didn't let her even sink in for just a moment. Why were you so dangerous for her today? Well, I think I was, you know, approaching her second serves pretty well. Um, and I wanted to pressure her. But, you know, honestly, um, I feel like I'm, even though I played so many matches physically, I can run to every ball and I wanted to, um, you know, have something from that. So um, I didn't really care if the rallies were short or long. I was running to everything and I gave my all, you know. Okay, you're running into Monday. Number one in the world didn't just happen to you. You made it happen. How special does it feel that on Monday you are the number one player in the world? Well, you know, I would say before that tournament, I thought, okay, I'm number one, but I thought it's going to happen different way, you know, because um, I didn't really know if I actually deserve it. Right now, maybe I'm going to believe it a little bit more because this, this tournament was really, really tough and winning it such a way, it's going to give me, you know, huge confidence, but also kind of trust in myself that I can, you know, keep going no matter if I'm tired, no matter if something is off, um, I can just, you know, play and dominate so I'm, I'm really happy about that I think we all know you're going to be the very same and humble Iga on Monday that you are today let's go okay. get you a trophy are you ready yeah I'm ready all I right. was born to do that you were born ready way to go congratulations Iga Sviante that doesn't sound like a player that's buckling under the pressure of becoming number one. So here are some of the fun facts. Joining Steffi, Kim, and Vika as the fourth woman to complete the Sunshine Double. First ever to win the first three 1,000s of the year in the win streak. Now at 17, she'll take over the number one ranking on Monday. Uh, we've got the hardware here on set, which means the champion can't be far behind. Martina, you've got one of these from the very first Miami Open when it was up the road in Delray Beach from 1985. In what closet? It, trophy case, bedroom, <laughs> family room, living room, bar. Do you store that one? I think that I have no idea where it is. <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> Sorry. Too, too many grand slams taken I up mean, the house. I, I, I have stuff in storage that I haven't gone through in like a decade. So I think it's probably in there somewhere. Uh, so many things to dissect in this win, Lindsay. Uh, you noted during the match Iga's kick serve and how it really seemed to, to catch Naomi off guard. How much of a weapon was that for her today? Yeah, she used all her weapons so well. I mean, she hits with more spin than anyone that Osaka played in this tournament. And in these light 
day conditions, the ball was really flying. Osaka could never quite figure out where to stand to receive serve. She tried to stand really far in, and then she tried to move back. Well, the other thing that Triantec did so well is she used the whole court. She really spread the court beautifully, kept Osaka out of the middle. And so often you saw Osaka trying to stretch and get balls. She was off balance. And when Osaka's not set with her feet right underneath her, yep. makes a lot of errors. And Sviantec's game plan was clear. Get her moving, get her to the sides, use the angles, open up the court. Well, so obviously she had choices to make with that second serve kicking as much as it did. She could have moved in. She tried that a couple times. She tried moving back. What's the best way to handle a serve when it's jumping out of the gym the way it was today? Well, I, I would like to take it on the rise uh, before it spins out because even if you hit it well, you're so far behind the baseline, you don't really get on offense. But you have to be able to time the ball really well. And if you're not feeling it, you're not going to be able to do it. And Osaka has been missing that second serve return quite a bit this week. So most of them going in the net. She tried. Maybe when you're standing that far in, you don't get yourself enough time to uh, to set for the shot. So I'd rather stay a little bit further back and then move forward as you're hitting. But again, Shiontek didn't, you know, did a great job hitting the ball deep right at Osaka. And when you're standing that far in, you can't get out of the way. Yeah, she varied her return position on that kick serve from six feet inside the baseline to more than six feet behind the baseline. Nothing seemed to work today. Uh, Martina mentioned Shiontek's power. I mean, we think of, and, and probably correctly so, Osaka as maybe the most powerful player on tour. Did Sviantec out hit her today? Yeah, definitely. The stat showed it. She was she was hitting the ball bigger off the baseline, off both the forehand and backhand. Osaka had the lead in the service speeds, but it was Sviantec mixing it up and, and almost pitching an off-speeder at times, getting the ball out of the strike zone of Osaka. But off the ground... The Sviantec forehand was the biggest shot yep. on that court, and that's not easy to do against a power player like Osaka. Let's show you her road to the championship. Obviously, she didn't drop a set. Uh, perhaps most impressive is the fact that when she beat Victoria Galyubich in her first match after the bye, Martina, that's the match in which she clinched the number one ranking. So then the pressure comes to try to live up to it, to back it up. We thought maybe there'd be a, an excuse if she stumbled. She didn't stumble at all. No stumble at all. You saw just dominating. She had three love sets in the tournament. Closest Pegula came to winning a set when the only player to get to five in any of the sets. She, I think she said it in the, in the interview. She was just concentrating on winning she wanted to get through number one the right way, and she didn't care about the ranking, really. She just wanted to keep playing, playing well, and, and that she did. And, uh, you know, had a good game plan and was able to execute. The semis against Pagula, that second set, she served for the match at 5-4, had a couple of match points, gets back to 5-all. Maybe you start to crack? Nope, buckled right back down 7-5. Came into this match 5-15 of 15 on break points against Pagula. Sometimes that can get into a player's head did in phaser and this was only the second day match Sriantec right. played the entire tournament Osaka on the flip played every match during the day except one so Osaka really had uh, an advantage with the conditions that didn't face Sriantec <laughs> either really remarkable how she handled everything thrown at her yeah I think she handled the light lightness of the conditions better than Osaka with the extra topspin on the forehand and moving just a little bit better enough to neutralize the Osaka power and Osaka couldn't keep up with the, with the Sriantec particularly with the forehand. All of that on hard courts. Yep. 
and Clay's her best surface. It's yeah. still to come. <laughs> Twenty-six and six career record for Sviantek on Clay. We will take a break. Going to be joined by Sviantek for the champions interview. Don't forget the men's doubles final is on the way live on Tennis Channel three thirty Eastern. Isner going for his own Sunshine double with two different partners. He's got Hubie Hercotch alongside today. And when we come back, a look ahead to tomorrow's men's final as the teen sensation from Spain, Carlos Alcaraz, looks to break out. Yeah, that trophy's a little lighter than the one from Indian Wells. She'll be taking them both back to Europe. Now, you don't need to be a tennis savant to know that Carlos Alcaraz is a rare talent on the verge of blossoming. Tomorrow will be the biggest moment of his young career so far, taking on Casper Ruud. Alcaraz 18, Ruud 23, each in their first Masters 1000 final. Ruud has won 57 matches last year alone. Alcaraz hasn't won that many in his entire career, but man, has he been stepping up the pace in the last six months or so. We welcome you back to Tennis Channel Live as we look ahead to tomorrow's final. Alcaraz against Rude and Lindsay. Not to overplay the Alcaraz to Nadal comparisons because they've been frequent and they are largely apt. But I think about when Rafa was 18 years old. People saw him even before he won Roland Garros 05. They looked at him and they said, yeah, that guy's special. He's going to do big things. Do you get that feeling when you look at Alcaraz now? Yeah, of course. It's it's hard not to it and very a lot of players in their teenage years you see them come along and you think oh they're going to be good you see a very rare do you see a player and you go oh they're going to be great and that's exactly the feeling you get from Alcaraz and sometimes players they make sacrifices he showed up a little bit late for Australia wasn't worried about some of the leading events he wanted to put in a longer offseason get even stronger get even more ready for the season showed up putting with 15 pounds easily of muscle out of nowhere I mean that really signaled to the whole locker room wow <laughs> he maybe was a junior now he's ready for the next <laughs> level he's going to be at a single digit ranking here before we know it will he win a major this year he's 18 years old he very well might I mean if, if you if you don't believe what Lindsay's talking about go back and look at pictures of him from this tournament a year ago when he by the way needed a wild card to get in uh, he was a, a bit of a skinny marink back then <laughs> he is bulging out of that sleeveless top uh he's done himself some good with his physical transformation he is just right he should not be changing a thing right now when it comes to physical fitness physical uh, physique his physique is right on the money you don't want to get too much so he's just got enough and mentally he has grown just like his physique has i mean it's the guy wants to be there he embraces the competition he embraces the big moments he loves it it's like give me the ball give me the ball i want the ball he wants the ball at the you know when when it's time to shoot the winning shot when your team is team is losing he wants that ball uh, let's talk about Kasparud, who's been a known quantity for uh, four or five years now on tour. Look, we know what he's capable of on clay with all that massive topspin that he produces. Have you been... I don't know, surprised and or impressed with what he's been doing on the hard courts here. Very impressed. And it's it takes a lot for a player to actually commit to getting better on a different surface. And some players' games naturally just suit a certain surface. But it also takes a special mindset for players to then say, no, you know what, I'm going to do well on the other surfaces. Yeah. And he's put in so much hard work in that regard. What's going to be fascinating is... It is a different environment when Carlos Alcaraz plays. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how Rude deals with that. He's the only player, Alcaraz, that's been able to fill this court. They're singing. They're cheering. When he was on grandstand, the same <laughs> thing. So it'll be a completely different environment for Rude to play here at the Miami Open in this final. Well, I don't think it'll cause him too much stress, but it, it's definitely something he's going to have to get accustomed yep. to. Yep, 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 yep. 
Uh, they both generate a ton of topspin. Rude has one of the spinniest forehands in the sport, right up there with Rafa. Alcaraz isn't far behind. How do you expect that to manifest in the match tomorrow? And, and does either one of them have an advantage over the other in a neutral rally? Because they're both pretty darn good from the baseline. I just feel like you saw yesterday, Hurkash, you felt he was redlining his balls more than Alcaraz was redlining his balls. And I feel like it's going to be the case today also with Rude. He's beefed up his game amazingly, but I still feel like he feels that he needs to get closer to the sideline than Alcaraz needs to get closer to the sideline. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But Alcaraz brings out that in, in everybody. They have to play their best tennis right now. And he's, and he's just getting started. Yeah. What do you think? What's the X factor X's and O's wise in their matchup tomorrow? I mean, you could look at a, a lot of different things. I, arguably, is this the biggest match for Alcaraz? Maybe the semifinal Indian Wells, he didn't win that, but now he's playing for a 1,000 title. Mm. You never know how a player handles it. Certainly, the signs are that he'll be absolutely ready to go and be able to play good tennis. Alcaraz also, can he find that backhand corner of Rude? Not easy to do. He's going to have to really hit hard and deep to that corner, try and open up the court in, in some regards. And also the serve. you got to be able to get free points with your serve, both players. Everybody predicted that Alcaraz might be in the top 15, top 20 by, what, halfway through the year, end of the year. If he wins this title, he's going to be 11 in the world already. And we're just in the first week of April. Youngest quarter finalist in the Open era already has won two titles. Did it the very same week of his career that Rafa won his second title and number three in the race. Top 10 win. Two weeks from now, he's going to the clay. That's where he likes it. That's about right. <laughs> I mean, the, the kid can win on any surface. He's got that game. I, I'd say clay would be his favorite, but look how well he's done on the hard courts. And as good an athlete as he is, as complete a game as he has, the way he likes to serve a volley and come to the net, watch out on the grass as well. Uh, there's this new wave of Spanish players coming in, right? Replacing, not not replacing, but coming after the Rafas and the Ferreras and the Lopezes and the Verdascas. And you've got Davidovich Fokina. You've got Pedro Martinez. They even know that this guy is different. Pedro Martinez did an interview and said, yeah, I'm good, but I'm not like Alcaraz. He's the chosen one. Hmm. That's quite a label for an 18-year-old player. So when we come back, we look ahead to the men's doubles final, and we will be joined by the newly minted Miami champion, Iga Sviantek. She's going to have to buy an extra piece of luggage for the trip home. Back on Tennis Channel Live, post-game coverage from the Miami Open. Championship Sunday will look like this. The men's singles final, 1 p.m. Eastern between Carlos Alcaraz and Casper Ruud. And then the women's doubles final. Kudermatova and Mertens are the top seeds. Sigmund and Zvonareva are in as well. And TC Live will wrap things up right after that. And what perfect timing, because as we told you that information... We are joined by the newly crowned champion of the Miami Open and the soon-to-be number one player in the world, Iga Sviantek. Congratulations on your win. There are applause here on the set that I believe want to be offered to. Uh, they'll come later. Um, you know, there's a reason I was thinking that only three women previously, Iga, had won the Sunshine Double, and that's because it's really hard to do. What does it mean to you to join Steffi and uh, Vika and Kim Kleisters as just the fourth woman to do this? Well... Honestly, it's hard even to describe it. You know, these are these kind of players that I wouldn't even dream of being 
you know, compared to them. So for sure, um, it means a lot. And, you know, I gave my all for this past few weeks. So um, it wasn't easy keeping up that streak. But um, at the end, I just went on court and I played my game because, you know, court looks the same every in every place. So I wanted just to focus on that and keep it cool, you know. <laughs> So during the tournament, before the tournament started, you knew you were going to be number one at the end of the year if you win that first match. How did it feel to know that you're going to be number one? Because you look like you're still so hungry and the pressure didn't get to you at all. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I am still hungry because still, you know, I don't want to lose and I want to win every match, basically. So um, for sure it hit me when Ash uh, gave her gave her announcement but then I realized that hey I have a still one match to win and when the tournament started I just you know kept going because um, I knew that I can't focus on rankings I just have to focus on tennis basically and uh, well basically I was also thinking of players like you and Shafi Graf who had their own streaks and who were I mean you are so inspiring and um, you showed us that it's possible so thanks. <laughs> so working with Tomasz Wiktorowski it's pretty new relatively speaking, but what has he helped you the most? Well, I think um, just having more variety in my game um, is something that I'm really, you know, proud of. He had to convince me kind of to learn, to um, practice more, you know, approach formations and some, um, you know, going forward uh, formations. So basically I can be more dominant and actually put pressure on my opponents because in last season I was feeling more like they are putting pressure on me and I can only, you know, stay on the baseline and run. And right now it's totally different. I have both of these things. So I feel like I'm more complete player, but still not complete yet. <laughs> We're joined by Iga Sviantek, who's just won the Sunshine Double undefeated uh, without dropping a set at the Miami Open. Uh, we were noting your serve during this match. You relied heavily on that kick serve, and it really seemed to take Naomi out of her rhythm. She couldn't decide if she wanted to move up or if she wanted to move back. How much was that part of the game plan coming into this match? Well, it's some kind of a thing that I had to do when my first serve wasn't going in. So <laughs> I don't know the stats, but in first set, it wasn't, I mean... You were like 35% first serves in. Yeah, so... But you were winning 70% of the points on the second serve, which is yeah, amazing. I mean, on the other hand, I knew that I can do a lot with my kick serve, and that's something that um, was always my weapon. So um, I think even, you know... Against players like that, it's better to kind of change the pace sometimes. So uh, it really worked out for me, but I wasn't planning to have 30% of first serve. Well, impressive how you were able to adjust to that fact. Plan B, plan C, whatever, you're able to do that. What? Why are you playing that much better? Because you are just hitting the ball that much harder, moving so much better. I mean, it's it beyond coach or anything else. What really has clicked? Because I'm impressed at how much better you're playing now than you did six months ago. Well, truth to be told that I feel like I've been playing like that on practices mm -hmm. a lot. And when I was playing against guys back home and against, you know, some players like before the tournament on our like one hour sessions, I could do that, you know, but then the match came and I was still a bit more tight. I was kind of slowing down my hand sometimes. And um, this season, I don't want to do that. I want to be aggressive right. and go forward. And it's been working out pretty well. I had some moments where I kind of felt like I'm close to coming back to, you know, being a little bit more tense. But I really worked through that. And um, I'm really happy that, you know, 
that I have this new skill. So thanks to my coach, Thomas, and um, thanks to Daria that I can, you know, continue doing that. I have a pretty unique uh, opportunity here sitting with the woman who's about to be number one in the world and a woman who spent a, a couple of weeks at number <laughs> one in the world. It's often been said, Iga, it's one thing to get there. It's another thing to stay there. Martina, maybe you could share some <laughs> words of wisdom about what's coming her way now uh, as she uh, moves to the top, right? Well, everybody's going to play better because you're a big, uh, big, big scalp to have, so to speak. But it's a nice problem. And I think for you, it's not so much about the ranking, but getting the most out of your game. I don't know that's what it was for me. I wanted to be the best tennis player. So as long as you stay on that route, don't think about all that other stuff because it's just noise that doesn't help. I think you, you're already there from what I see mentally. Well, you know, still, it's only a few months. I yeah, keep it's new. That for Welcome to the room. club, by the way. <laughs> Do you guys have jackets? <laughs> it's a special handshake. We have. Oh, my God. I will, I'll look away. Jackets. <laughs> It'd be nice, right? Yeah. We can. I'm sure we can arrange something. I, I wanted to ask you because you made mention of it in your speech up on stage. It's been a remarkable couple of months in your home country of Poland, showing itself to be a, a compassionate and indispensable member of the world community, giving refuge to hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees. And obviously, tennis is such a small part of the equation compared to that. But what must it mean to you right now to be the first Polish number one at a time when your country is enduring so much strife and its neighbors are as well? Well, first of all, I I hope that it's giving them just a little bit of, you know, happiness and hope, basically. Um, and for sure, like, in the next months, I would love to kind of use my position to help a little bit and to, like, help people suffer less. Um, I know that these are only, like, small things you can do but basically i think we are you know athletes and we are pretty popular and we should use our voice to raise awareness and also to help so hopefully i'm gonna you know do that and with the help of my team for sure because it's pretty hard to arrange something like that on my own but um yeah i, I hope tennis like can actually and sports can unite people and um yeah as, as you said polish people are already pretty united and they're helping ukrainian people a lot so i'm proud of that and um, I think we're going to continue doing that, but hopefully the situation, you know, is going to change for better soon. Well, with your game and with how you are on and off the court, believe me, you're a role model for many, Thank and you, you bring a lot of pleasure to millions, so congratulations. Thank you very much. And fitting to have Hubert Hurkacz running behind you, getting ready for his doubles final. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Poland proud on a number front. We're going to leave on a lighter note. You have a little extra luggage to take home That's with nice you problem. to Europe. <laughs> I think this one is lighter than the oh, one yeah. in Indian Wells. So there, there you are in Indian Wells. I know that was a tough lift. Yes. Do you want to pick this one up and show us how much? This one I can just lift with one hand. Well. Left one. So <laughs> well I've done. been doing my work in a gym, but Indian Wells trophy is too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice workout to have. Iga, on behalf of all of us at Tennis Channel, congratulations and thank you thank for you uh, your grace these four weeks of tennis. Thank you. Iga Sviantek, sunshine double, caps it off with the Miami title without dropping a set. Much more to come as we set the table for the doubles. That final starts in just about 10 minutes. One more final to come on this championship Saturday. It's the men's doubles, and we've got another sunshine double in the offing for John Isner. He won Indian Wells with Jack Sock, going to try to win this one with Hubert Hurkacz. Kulhoff and Skupski on the other side. Jason Goodall, Prakash Amritraj will have that call next. Well, as this Miami Open comes to a close, we are reminded that it began with the shocking news that world number one Ash Barty was retiring at 25. 
She accomplished so much in her career, but seemed to leave even more on the table. John Wertheim looks closer in today's Unstruck. There are athletes that retire. There are athletes that go out on top. And then there is Ash Barty. Weeks after winning her home slam, the 2022 Australian Open, without dropping a set, weeks before turning 26, ranked number one, having won 25 of her last 26 matches, Barty was retiring from tennis. Good night, slice backhand. Good night, kick serve. Good night, versatile game. Good night, winning personality. Good night, tennis. I'd given absolutely everything that I could to this sport. While the Aussie media described the announcement as a shocker, here's the truth. It wasn't. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Barty, of course, had already taken a break before as a teenager when being a tennis player stopped filling her with joy. Even as the queen, she spoke openly about the isolation, about living out of a bag about the rigors of getting to and from her homeland during COVID. I have my little coffee machine with me and, um, you know, get little care packages from home to, to remind me of the things. Add to that a recent engagement, a sense of accomplishment, having won Wimbledon and the Aussie Open, and her decision makes great sense. Look at Catherine first. For all Barty achieved, and her next stop is the Hall of Fame, she might be best remembered for nothing to do with trophies. She played tennis on her terms, and she lived on her terms. You've likely seen the gif of Barty recently attending an Aussie Rules football game. Laugh at the beer and the fist pump. But note that she was sitting in the stands, not the suites. Here was a player with no interest in the celebrity trappings that come with stardom. She didn't want Instagram fame, or to date a celebrity, or to pose in a swimsuit, or to do anything that didn't feel authentic. So here we are. Might she come back? Of course. Show us a tennis player retiring in their 20s and often we can find you in unretirement. But ultimately, who cares? But for now, let's celebrate a generational star who managed to be liked by all while never bending from her authentic self. A sportswoman in the truest sense and an Aussie in the truest sense. And if she chose to say good day while the going was still rich, well, Good for her. Well, if this is the end for Barty, she finishes with three Grand Slam singles titles, including this year's Australian Open, which ended the 44-year drought for the host country. Also made five Grand Slam doubles finals, won 27 tour-level crowns between singles and doubles, and spent more than two years at number one in the rankings. And, guys, I think a lot of people in the tennis world reacted to the news of Ash's retirement by being really happy for her, but kind of being sad for the rest of us that she leaves behind because we lose one of the greatest champions we've had. Uh, now that you've had a week or two to sort of mull it over, how do you feel about it now, Martina? Uh, so disappointed for us, for the tennis world, for the sports world. Happy for Ash. Come to think of it, the Hall of Fame, you wait five years mm -hmm. before you're inducted. She's young enough where she could get inducted in five years from now and then at 30, change your mind <laughs> and come back after having a couple of kids. Who knows? We're hoping that's going to happen, but chances are not, but we'll see. But for tennis, it's a big loss. Yeah, you, you know, there's some players that absolutely love the game. They love playing tennis. That's why they got into it, but they don't love the job and they don't love so many things that go with it. And Barty's certainly one of those. Gabriela Sabatini stopped at 25 years of age. We had Steph quit it. I think it was 29 
29. I mean, there's a lot of players that don't love being gone for 10 to 11 months out of the year of always having that stress. I, I, I couldn't think of anything cooler than to win in your home slam, be a Wimbledon champion, and just be, I'm good with it. She didn't love what the job entailed. She certainly mastered it, and she's going to enjoy whatever she chooses to yeah. do next. She's a phenomenal talent. We're going to obviously miss her. We're going to miss her game. No one plays like she was playing. But you know what? She's going to be so happy, and that's that's all we can really ask for. Uh, you know, she plays old-timer tennis, and I think she likes better that time when we played. It was a lot simpler. The social media, there was a lot less uh, a lot less that you had to do for the game, for the sport, etc. So I think 30 years ago she was still be playing, but now it's just too much, too many things that she had to do that, uh, as, as Lindsay said, she didn't love the job. She loves the game, but not the job. And it was amplified by the fact that when you live in Australia, in particular right. in the pandemic, when she had to leave in February exactly. after the Open, she was leaving for the whole year. Lindsay, I love your point. It resonated with me when you made it the other day about loving playing tennis, but not loving the job of being a tennis player. She's not the first player to have a complicated relationship with this sport. I think of Andre Agassi, who wrote about it in his book. Can, can you... Can you fall back in love with it? Can you find a way? I mean, you guys know. Yeah, I, I mean, the biggest thing and the greatest thing ever was how her family helped her when she was really struggling yeah. with her own mental health when she was just 16, 17 years old, and it wasn't cool to talk about it then, or it wasn't right. safe to talk about it. So what did she do? Her parents, when you have a teenager that could be the best in the world, how about taking her and, and, and supporting her and quitting and walking away and say, we just want you to be happy. We just want you to be okay. You're our daughter. We don't care how well you do. That gave her the strength strength and courage to go back out on tour. And now at 25, she makes her own decision. Nope. This is what makes me happy. Truly is being at home. You're about to get married. Maybe she has some kids pretty soon. Um, she could, but I think ultimately being gone and having to be on the road six to 10 months out of the year, she says, no, thank you. Yeah, I think this is a combination of COVID. Uh, it was really hard for her to go such a long way. And also when she won the Aussie Open, the whole country was putting that pressure on her. She probably never felt that kind of pressure, even winning Wimbledon. And when she won, you saw more relief than happiness. And I think when she kind of won, I think if she hadn't won, maybe she'd still be playing because she feels that she owes it to the country to keep trying. But now that she did it, it's like, okay, I just want to relax. I don't want to feel that stress. Been there, done that, and I'm ready to live in the house that I'm building and maybe learn surfing, etc. <laughs> uh, just to underscore how big a deal it was for her to win the Australian Open, she wasn't just the Australian sports person of the year. She was the Australian of the year across all of society and culture. That was a big moment. She goes out on top quite literally. Uh, social media from the social net, uh, one bit of news coming across the transom, and that is that Daniel Medvedev revealed he's been playing with a hernia. He had surgery this morning. He's going to miss at least a month, possibly two, likely not going to play the clay, Martina. Well, uh, yeah, that happens more with guys than women, the hernia. I know nothing about it other than they put a little net there or whatever. Uh, I just hope that he d takes his time to recover because that's something that can definitely become chronic. So better nip it in the bud, so to speak, or not. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and hopefully he'll be back soon. <laughs> you know, it's been a tough couple of months for... For Medvedev, he hasn't looked the same since he lost that Australian Open yeah, final to true. Rafa. He's looked shattered physically; just hasn't been the same out on court. We haven't seen that same fighting spirit. A anytime you're dealing with other stuff as well, physical ailments, you've got to try and get 
get that fixed as soon as yep. possible. And also going into his least favorite part of the year, probably figures this is right. the time. He doesn't want to miss the hardcore season in the summer. Hopefully he comes back whenever he's healthy at 100%. Always frustrating for an athlete when you have an injury, you can't rehab. you got to get right. it fixed. Right. You know, There's right. nothing you can do and just hope that the surgeon does a good job. Uh, he doesn't love the clay, though he did make the quarterfinals at Roland Garros last year, first time he'd ever won any matches. We wish Daniel Medvedev a speedy recovery. Uh, perfect segue to uh, the doubles final. There's uh, Hubie Hercotch and John Isner just behind us getting loose, about to take the court, and we'll have that uh, for you coming up live. Uh, that'd be pretty cool for John to win the Sunshine Double with two different partners, right? It's a very tall team. I mean, John, he certainly might as well sit down and not even bother when you're his partner. Uh, and he's got a good return of serve as well. He volleys, and he covers so much of the court just by him being there. So, uh, yeah, he's got a chance at it. Let's hope that he can do it. All right, they're uh, going to make the walk, and so we will step aside, get ready for the doubles final. Uh, Jason and Prakash will have that for you as TC Live wraps up a very special championship Saturday in Miami. Iga Sviantek has won them both. John Isner trying to do the same.